Last week, we looked briefly at 1 Peter chapter 1. We tried to answer two questions. How ought Christians to live? And why? What does our daily life look like? And what is the motivation for that life? The answers are simple and powerful. The believer in Christ ought to be prepared in the midst sober-minded in the midst of frivolity and calm in the midst of storm. Why? Because we are bought with the precious blood of Christ. What more do we need? Today, because it is Palm Sunday, we'll be looking at a very familiar passage in John chapter 12. For nearly 2,000 years now, leaders in the church have been preaching about Palm Sunday, and we cannot allow the world's turmoil to change that. The events leading up to Easter, I believe, give us so much insight into the heart of Jesus. Every year, Christians are moved to worship as we delve into the story of Christ's infinite love. Let this year be no different. Let's read John chapter 12, and we'll read verses 12 through 19. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so blessed once again to be able to worship you on this Palm Sunday. And although it's a different uh, gathering together and one that we are looking forward to its passing, we are still grateful that we can gather together in, in this small way. And so I pray, Lord, as we open your word to uh, this story in the Gospel of John, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truths that are in here. And more than that, that we would be open to the conviction of your spirit on our own lives, that, that the word could be, have transforming power in our lives, each one of us. We thank you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage begins with a crowd greeting Jesus as the coming king. This was the large crowd that came for the greatest of holidays in Judaism, Passover. When they came, they came with lambs, or the money to purchase a lamb if the distance to Jerusalem was great. 
Jewish law required that the Passover lamb live with the family for at least three days before the sacrifice. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 12, particularly verses 3 through 6. <clears throat> when Jesus came and went into Jerusalem, lambs for sacrifice would surround him and everyone else. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that one year a census was taken of the number of lambs slain for Passover, and that figure was over a quarter of a million lambs. The people gathered for something that was like a patriotic parade. Palm branches were a symbol, we, we call this Palm Sunday, palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nationalism since at least the time of the Maccabees. Who were the Maccabees? We'll get into that in just a moment. In the Old Testament, in particular Leviticus chapter 23, the final feast of the Jewish calendar was instituted called the Feast of Booths, sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Ingathering, but we'll call it the Feast of Booths. During this feast, the Jews lived for a week in a tent made of palm branches. Let's read Leviticus chapter 23 and just verses 42 and 43. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Over time, a custom grew up around the end of the feast when the booths or tabernacles were disassembled and the people celebrated the fact that God had given them a permanent home. It became a symbol of Israelite national celebration to throw palm branches. This brings us to the Maccabees. The Maccabees were a group of Jewish rebel warriors who took control of Judea, which at the time was part of the Greek and Roman Seleucid Empire that developed out of the death of Alexander the Great. They founded what was called the Hasmonean Dynasty, which ruled from 163 years before Christ's birth to about 33 years before Christ's birth. They reasserted the Jewish religion, expanded the boundaries of Judea by conquest, and reduced the influence of Greek culture. Let's read from the Jewish historical book called Second Maccabees and Chapter 10. Remember, this is not inspired scripture, but it is useful Jewish history that took place between the inspired Old and New Testament scriptures. Now, Maccabeus and his followers, the Lord leading them on, recovered the temple and the city. They tore down the altars that had been built in the public square by the foreigners and also destroyed the sacred precincts. They purified the sanctuary and made another altar of sacrifice. Then, striking fire out of flint, they offered sacrifices after a lapse of two years, and they offered incense and lighted lamps and set out the bread of the presence. When they had done this, they fell prostrate and implored the Lord that they might never again fall into such misfortunes, but that if they should ever sin, they might be disciplined by him with forbearance and not be handed over to blasphemous and barbarous nations. 
It happened that on the same day on which the sanctuary had been profaned by the foreigners, the purification of the sanctuary took place, that is, on the 25th day of the same month, which is Chislev. They celebrated it for eight days with rejoicing, in the manner of the festival of booths. They had been wandering in the mountains and caves like wild animals. Therefore, carrying ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches and also of palm branches, they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him who had given success to the purifying of his own holy place. They decreed by public edict, ratified by vote, that the whole nation of the Jews should observe these days every year. Palm branches of the time were even imprinted on Jewish coins as a sign of national independence. I've given all of this background to lead to this point. The crowd that gathered for Jesus' triumphal entry looked to him as a political and national savior, but not a spiritual savior. They yelled out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This large, enthusiastic crowd greeted Jesus with words from the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 118, and I'd like to read some of that as well. We'll read six verses there. Psalm 118, and we'll read 21 through 26. I will praise you, for you have answered me, and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And lest you think this passage promises health and safety, let's look at the earlier context. Verse 18, just a few verses before this, David says this, The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. The cry, Hosanna, means save now. And on this day, the crowd received Jesus as a triumphant Messiah. I can't help but wonder, and I do each time I read this passage, how many of these same people that cried Hosanna were a short time later crying, Crucify him. Regardless, we clearly see human nature on full display in these two crowds. As long as the people thought that Jesus had come to deliver them physically from under Rome's thumb. As long as they believed they were right on the very cusp of receiving God's physical blessing, the people were willing to praise and glorify Jesus as their Messiah. But the moment they learned that is not why Jesus came, at least not this time, they despised him and were willing to give him up to torture and death. What about you? And what about me? 
Are we only willing to pour out our praise to God when things are going well for us in this world? Or do we even follow him when it means taking up our own cross? Are we only willing to celebrate God's goodness when we are on the edge of physical deliverance? Or can we worship him because of his spiritual deliverance? Can we say like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? In Christ's death and resurrection, God has an infinitely higher plan than mere physical redemption in this world. Jesus came to deal with a much deeper problem than physical suffering and illness. He came to deal once and for all with our sin. Are we disappointed then when we are not healed of our physical suffering? Or are we able in our suffering to praise the one who took our sin away? Don't misunderstand me. I pray for healing. I prayed for healing when my wife and I were dealing with her cancer diagnosis. I pray for each person in our congregation that is dealing with serious health issues. I pray for healing of the multitudes that are suffering with this coronavirus. But if God, in his sovereign wisdom, allows us to suffer physically for a time, we do not cease to say, Hosanna to the Son of David. We do this because we know that one day we will have complete deliverance. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. In the meantime, let me not think that I am above Jesus and his apostles in their suffering and persecution. Jesus came into Jerusalem in peace, not war. Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, it says. Jesus did this both as a deliberate fulfillment of prophecy, taken from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, and as a demonstration of the character of his kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom, not a military kingdom. The donkey was the animal of the man of peace. It could be used by a person of importance, uh, such as King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 1, but in connection with peaceable purposes. A conqueror would ride into the city on a war horse or perhaps march in on foot at the head of his troops. Jesus will come to Jerusalem on a horse one day, but it was not this day. This day he came to bring peace. And the crowds followed him, not understanding his full purpose. Much to the dismay of the religious leaders of the time, when they looked at the crowds, they were discouraged. The crowds adored Jesus, our passage said, because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. They believed this proved that Jesus could be the conquering Messiah they longed for. 
F.F. F. Bruce said it like this, One who could summon a dead man back to life would certainly be able to deliver the holy city from the yoke of Caesar. The popularity of Jesus was offensive to his enemies. It made them feel that they were accomplishing nothing. Some things never change. When unbelieving men see the popularity of Jesus among his followers, it compels them to scoff and mock Christians as followers of a crucified Jew. I, for one, am okay with that. If the worst someone can say about my life is that I am a follower of Jesus of Nazareth, I am truly blessed. At the very end of the passage we read, the Pharisees say this, Look, the whole world has gone after him. In their minds they were exaggerating, but history has shown that they couldn't have been closer to the truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Palm Sunday. Thank you that it begins to build in us an anticipation of what you were going to do, this great plan of the ages that were going to culminate in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as we look at his triumphant entry, he didn't, he didn't scold those that were yelling Hosanna, even though they misunderstood him. We can't help but wonder if many of those same people were yelling crucify him just a few short days later. Father, help us to understand that the work of Christ, the kingdom of Christ, is spiritual. That it is not about how things are going for us physically, but whether we are willing to walk with him even when things physically are very difficult for us. I pray that in this short passage that gives us so much, that we would we, we just be encouraged again to move forward with Christ, to trust him better for the uncertain times ahead. I pray for each person that's listening to this right now, that you would encourage them in their hearts, that you would give them hope, that you would give them the courage to follow Christ, especially when it's hard. Help us as your followers to be a light to the world, especially a light of hope to a world full of fear right now. Thank you for the technology that we have to gather in this unusual way. And I pray that you would bring about a quick resolution to this virus situation. I pray that the truth would prevail, whatever the truth is that's out there regarding this illness, and that we would soon again be able to gather in a building and, and um, see one another face to face. I, we, we long to spend time with one another again, and we just ask that you would bring this about. Thank you again for your word. Thank you for Easter. We pray that you would bless each one. In Jesus' name, amen.